0: Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at the buglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
0: Hello, Urncasters. Welcome to the Bugle Ashes Urncast. And I, Andy Zaltzman, bring you glad tidings from the land of the unnecessarily revived mullet, Australia. It's not going to be 5-0. That is the greatest thing that's happened in at least the last two years in the world. England will not lose the Ashes 5-0. It might not even be 4-0, although it almost certainly will be. But it definitely won't be 5-0. Breakouts, the champagne. Uh, anyone listening in England, or well, what? Maybe a bottle of cheap lemonade would be more appropriate. But still, break it out! England's supremely intricate long-form strategic master plan has borne fruit. Is it fruit, or is it a squirrel dropping that looks like a grape? Who gives a shit? It's worked because, finally, four well, three and a half tests into the series. England have baked complacency so deep into the Australian team that they failed to win at the SCG. By being bowled out for 68 in Melbourne, then slumping to 36 for four after conceding another 400 declared first innings, England at Australia exactly where they wanted them. And as a result they roared back into a state of marginally reduced bethrashedness by clinging on for a draw after being thoroughly outplayed yet again for most of the largely one-sided and slightly range-shortened Sydney tests. But the point is, we have an effect thrashed Australia by not being thrashed 5-0, and in relative terms, that is an absolute shooing. Uh, Felicity Ward joining me as always for the uh, australiac perspective it's a very very dark day for uh, australia that the fact that the, the you know now traditional five nil humping has been slightly reduced
2: did you say humping
0: i, d- I did say humping yes <laughs> i believe that's the <laughs> technical term
2: i think i heard you blush when you say it you know, <laughs> oh i'm gonna say something naughty i don't know Andy, I'm absolutely yeah. delighted, mate. Right. It's okay. it's all it's all it was almost like watching Test cricket, oh, five days, yes. five day, and it turns out England, real five day specialists, <laughs> at not being thrashed. Yes, if they could make it to five days every time, you might have been in with a chance.
0: Yeah. In Melbourne, I guess it was just the fact that they you know missed out day you know two and a half and four, um, mm. so day five, you know England's strength on day five. Where Australia have traditionally floundered, um, yeah. <laughs> didn't really come into play. So. Oh,
2: look! I absolutely loved it. I absolutely right. loved it. See, this it's really upsets emotional.
0: this upsets me, Felicity, I know. because you know I we've know. had so little to cling to. We wanted Australia to know, really be at least sorry. slightly disappointed. Even the players at the end, you could tell they'd already won the series. They were a little bit pissed off they hadn't won. But yeah. there were no, you know, players slumping to the ground in desolation. It really devalued England's achievement for me. I wanna see tears and pain. Yeah,
2: there was no face in hands. I'm sorry. Yeah. There was no like consolation hugs. There was no like no one was having to reassure some of the younger players that it was gonna be okay. And I am yeah. sorry for that. I am truly, genuinely sorry for that. Do
0: you know what it was like for listening? It was like watching fing New Zealand. Yeah, you know, when New Zealand <laughs> lost the World Cup <laughs> final, they all just said, Oh yeah, well it's just been nice to have a day out. Fuck's sake. You you I wanna know. see players devastated. By their failure. And Australia have let, let everyone down.
2: Look, we'll, we'll discuss this with our guest. Yeah. But when Bairstow got that century, I genuinely welled up. Just right. watching him metaphorically headbutt his way back into the series.
0: <laughs> it's emotional. He <laughs> got it in the last over of the day on the, on the third day. Uh, and his celebration, he sort of ran three quarters of the way to the pavilion shouting. Yeah. And, and you can sort of see that... Everyone else sort of peering at him from about 50 yards away. He was still on the pitch, thinking, well, he seems to be enjoying himself.
2: Joe Root holding up a sign going, turn around. (laughs) You're not finished yet.
0: 20 matches he's played since his last Test 100, which he'd not even reached 60, let alone 100. I mean, if if humans had evolved with four digits instead of five and therefore counted in base eight, so (laughs) essentially 64 would have been a century, he still wouldn't have scored a century. For <laughs> 19 consecutive tests, so you can see why he got he got so excited. about it all it helped. England had been, in, you know, it had been just a typically disastrous first couple of days. But in the end, you know, Bearstow and Stokes turned it around a bit, and then you know mm. they still didn't do very well with the ball in the second so They nearly, nearly tanked it on the final day. But it was, and I mean, it's very sincerely Felicity. It was the greatest moment for the England men's Test team in Australia in the past 11 years. Now, I mean, that is I mean, not so much a low bar as a subterranean bar. <laughs> I mean, that is, you have to burrow down to to get under that bar. Um, yep. but, but somehow, despite the deep philosophical non-negotiable belief of England cricket in the inevitability of losing 5-0 when we go to Australia these days, they found a way to not lose. It was one of the great not losses yeah. in recent Ashes history. It was straight into the top two greatest results for England in Australia. In the last 10 years and you know you can't you can't say further than that
2: i can't take that away from you andy yep. i cannot take that away from you
0: to discuss this further we are now joined uh, for the first time on the bugle Ashes own Cast by well i don't quite know how to describe our, our, our guest she does so many different things uh broadcaster writer Lawyer, a former cricketer, former captain of Middlesex. Uh, please welcome to the UNcast, uh, Isabel Westbury. Um, he? Have, have I missed anything off your um, varied CV? Anything else you want to chuck in there, true or otherwise?
2: Honorary Australian after this summer. I'm going to say honorary Australian, honorary Australian. Although that's—I don't know if that's an accolade or not. But <laughs> how dare you? Absolutely. How dare you?
3: Survivor, <laughs> survivor of tour down under. Right. We haven't even finished it yet, but I feel—I feel like I'm—I'm—I'm going to earn that one.
0: Yes. Mm. As a member of the sort of English press contingent, there is an element of it does feel almost like a physical battering of the soul watching England getting thrashed.
3: Oh yeah. In Australia. Oh yeah. it, it I mean, but on the on the flip side, it's also feels like a rite of passage, yeah. <laughs> as it's happened so often. <laughs> I mean, this is my first Ashes tour working with the English press. And so I've got the kind of giddy excitement of just being here. I mean... To be honest, being let into this damn country in the first place was a sort of a feat of engineering in itself. Better than, better than Novak, or you might have already, you might have finally, finally made it. But I felt quite proud of that. It was easier for me to get into here than Novak Djokovic, so <laughs> that's always a plus. Yeah, I've got this giddy excitement still. So, and, and because I've seen so many from dark rain-inflicted, you know, awful January in England of England getting battered five 0 it kind of felt as though it didn't really matter as long as I was watching it in the sunshine and daylight, mm. which is pretty much what it's turned out to be.
0: So you've been commentating on Triple M radio, Australian radio station. Yeah, How has it been being you know, the English voice in an Australian team? I
3: feel as though this needs to be put into context okay. for any oh, English please, listeners.
2: because, please,
3: I mean, it really had to be explained a few times to me before I sort of signed the dotted line. First of all, Triple M is a rock show. It, it plays rock music and then now and again it just decides instead of rock it wants to play Australia's battering the poms. And genuinely it doesn't cover any other cricket apart from the Ashes so it's just a routine oh England are going to come here, we're going to win 5 or 4 or whatever it is let's have some fun and then they go oh shit we probably need a pom and I, I'm, not, I'm not even kidding in that because of the Covid restrictions right now the only way in which you can get into the country probably all know this from following the novak saga is that you need to have not only a visa i mean that's easy these days is you need to have an exemption and for the exemption you need to demonstrate that you have a critical skill so i have literally got a letter which says that i am a core part of australian culture that (laughs) no australian could otherwise fulfill and it's true because no australian could be the pom sort of (laughs) battering ram that needs to just bat away, Merv Hughes jumping all over the place and 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 Mark Taylor, who's beaten England more times than I've scored a run. I mean, it's it, it, this is my core service to the inherent culture
2: of Australia, is just to sit there and take it. Right. But, I, look, one thing you have not done is sat there and take it. If anyone hasn't listened to, uh, to Izzy, please listen to Triple M. I have no allegiance to any radio station to whom you listen to about, uh, for the cricket. But listening to very lackadaisical ex-players mumble their way through some, some slight observations of the day, but usually just some old stories, and then Izzy, on her feet with this plum English accent, <laughs> enunciating every consonant, syllable, vowel that's ever been invented for every, and with the passion of someone who's winning.
3: <laughs> Isn't that just so awful? Then? No,
2: it's extraordinary to listen to, and I, I say this as uh, like I am a new massive fan, and it is very hard as a woman to win anyone over in in sport. If you're if you're a, a woman in sport in any part, it's hard to win a male audience over. And I look at the Twitter commentary under clips, and everyone's like, "You've reinvigorated the game. Welcome to Australia anytime." Like it is a joy <laughs> listening to you commentate. I have i I've been looking up YouTube clips. For Triple M. Do you know how desperate that is? Oh, you, you don't want to know what you'll find if you just look up YouTube clips of Triple M. Oh, my darling, I've lived there since 1980. <laughs> I think I've been on their show before. But it's been, it's been absolutely marvellous and it is such a contrast of energies and tempos and just the way that you describe the game. I don't know. This has just turned into a bit of a fangirl moment, but I have loved it, especially watching the machismo of the triple m commentary team just being like injected with this strong female english voice is delightful
3: i had rather and well, while it could have turned it out to be a very awkward moment in the first test when i was talking about joe root joe Root, it was is the one man that seems to be able to hold a bat in australia which is o englishman that seems to be able to hold a bat and he had a really wonderful year last year I think he scored six or seven centuries. It was ridiculous. He scored more runs than, than anybody else put together in England team. And so I'm not, I didn't do Latin or anything at school, but there were a few phrases that kind of get thrown around the ether that you just, you just know, you know, like carpe diem, um, that kind of thing. And so I, I said just off the bat that he had had an Annus Mirabilis. Now, I don't think you even need to know Latin to probably work out what on earth that 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 means i mean you need to know the queen's speech to know what an annus Horribilis is right and the looks that i got <laughs> when i said that made me second guess my whole primary school education <laughs> in one second and the worst thing is and i mean i have really tried to embrace some of the um australian dialect for example because it's a commercial radio show um, that we need to to flog something called Wagner's vitamins, which actually, as I understand it, a Wagner's
0: vitamins. <laughs> <but apparently not. laughs> what do they do? do? They put your ring through a cycle.
3: <laughs> oh, you wouldn't believe it, Callum Ferguson. He he tried to repeat Anus Mirabilis, but of course, being Australian, he went, Ah, oh, is it an Inus? An Inus Mirabilis? I was like. <laughs> Oh no. No, no, no! Please, please stop now. Izzy,
2: the overestimation you have that the Australian education system is quite amazing. <laughs> that phrase has never been uttered by any teacher at any school, apart from private schools in Sydney, maybe.
0: <laughs> well, personally, I think there needs to be more Latin in cricket commentary generally, and uh, you know, obviously, so to get the kids involved in it again. all T Twenty <laughs> commentary, should be in in Latin, I would say.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Do different dead language per
0: yeah. year. Yeah, T20 keeps needs to be freshened up because people get bored of it. So yeah, that's right. Get some Latin involved.
2: The hundred
3: in ancient Greek mm-hmm. church attendance probably has the same trajectory as cricket match attendance over the last <laughs> decade. To be fair, yeah.
0: where would you say this game ranks in England's greatest face-saving rain affected almost f- it up anyway escapes with, with a draw.
3: It's quite appropriate that we should celebrate more than any victory a non-defeat, essentially. Yes. So I'd almost even argue that it ranks above some of our greatest victories, like <laughs> headingly 2019. Because, hey, what are we good at? Not losing in Australia,
0: frankly. It is so rare for England not to lose these days. Uh, so I mentioned before, this is the sixth, uh, fifth series out of the last six that England has been 3-0 down. Uh, after three so I mean even draws have become increasingly rare and in terms of what, what made it possible England ended up with their numbers 5, 6 and 7 Stokes, Bester, and Butler all carrying injuries and that seemed to be what finally galvanised England into action Stokes pulled his side bowling and Butler busted his finger wicket keeping and Bester got hit on the hand batting and England's performance seemed to be boosted I mean is this going to be the new strategy kind of escape-to-victory style inflictings of injuries on players.
3: Or the prospect of heading back home on the next flight I mean I think you'll find that they'll be galvanised come the final test in Hobart because they know that they're, they're getting out of this And I, I say hellhole in the nicest possible way hellhole I because understand. their record is so utterly terrible
2: it's an emotional hellscape
3: absolutely a number of times I've been told that the ashes should, should move permanently to England because that's the only place that it's competitive is yeah it's, it's becoming a thing
0: Joe Roots, we talked about he's you know he looks just totally and utterly exhausted. I, I don't know the total number of nut shots he's taken now. Uh oh. so, I mean he had another one uh, in he had one in this game that that didn't just hit him in, in the nuts. It left a, a kind of red mark on his trousers, as if to, uh, <laughs> to just prove exactly where it had hit him. I mean at, at this point, he might as well just walk out to the middle at the start of his innings. Just ceremonially whack himself in the blooters with a mallet and say, "Can we all just play some normal cricket now without you firing <laughs> a missile into my murgatory at ninety miles an hour?"
3: Zoltz, you know these days how they've got really good sort of techie stuff that show you exactly where the balls landed, and yes. they can do it w- with a flurry of like the, the last six overs, this many balls hit this pot, <laughs> spot on the pitch. They've started doing it before. Root's uh. box, <laughs> how many? <laughs> I mean, it's actually uncanny to the point that yesterday, I mean, obviously, I'm one of the very, very few people in the written press box who isn't a bloke and therefore is not sort of constantly in jeopardy of something hitting that area and being in <laughs> apparently mortal pain. So I, I didn't. I just turned around and went, I mean, it does. is it, is it, is it a problem with technique? <laughs> this poor mm. man keeps on getting his nuts in the way. Or is it the fact that he's willing to sacrifice them? And how much pain does a man have to go through in order to sacrifice that over getting out? The, yes. These are the questions that are now circulating yeah. around Joe Root's uh, uh, groin area. I yes. Think. Or was it, no? Wait, it was referred to as the abdomen area. Yes. On the
2: first time mm. it occurred. His undercarriage.
0: Yes. Oh, the yes. lower, uh, ab- the uh, a- anterior abdomen. Uh, I think we can call it. Mm.
2: For those familiar with cricket, uh,
3: or, or at least to the lead-up to the Ashes, will know that Australia were without a test captain, I think two weeks before the start, due to his own indiscretion in the abdominal region involving yes. camera mm. phones and another lady. So the best the best take that I've I've seen is that <laughs> we didn't think that another test captain's genital tools would generate <laughs> as much discussion as poor Tim Payne said Australian <laughs> captain this summer. But Joe Root is giving it a good go.
0: Yes. Yeah. In a m- and much just more as noble much manner. coverage. Yes.
2: Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Publicly, not behind the secrecy of his own bedroom, in front of everyone to witness. Yes.
0: And I guess the, the, what the two have in common is their partners are probably uh, equally upset by what, what's been going on. <laughs> Root shot in the first innings out seventh ball for a duck to uh, Scott Boland. I mean, he looked so tired when he played that shot after uh, all the strain of captaining another losing team in Australia. I think by the time the ball reached slip, he'd actually just laid down and fallen asleep at the crease. And by the time it was caught, he was already having a nightmare about being told that his top three for the next test would be Liz Hurley, Dougal from the Magic Roundabout and a bucket of eels. Uh, I've, I can't remember seeing a tired, like a, just a more fatigued shot in particularly the first innings. Of a test. Oh. What kind of level of sympathy, Felicity, do you have for for Root and his his predicament?
2: I mean, when he nicked the ball in the second innings, I think I actually saw him whisper "mummy." <laughs> <laughs> he looked so sad, like red eyeballs and bags down to his lips. I almost wanted to go out and go. Guys, can we just give him another go? <laughs> He's just tired. He's had a really—it's the new year. Come on, new new year, new rules. Come on, come on, Joe. No, you—you you know when like a, when a kid's having a really bad run and the mum comes out and goes, "Come on, guys, we're a team. Let's do it again. Let's give him another chance." And everyone goes, "Yay!"
0: That's sort of what's been happening with Hasib Hamid. <laughs> I think they keep dropping him for nothing, oh. and then he keeps getting out straight away anyway. So.
3: Also surely with Joe root though the poor man is that the one thing he didn't want was a new year because the only thing he really had to cling on to going into the I don't know the, the second mm. test in Melbourne was that he'd had such a ridiculous 2021 and now he's got the wonderful accolade of having registered England's first duck of 2022
2: <laughs> I mean last year was a real annus mirabilis wasn't it
3: some people We're might say <laughs> some people might say <laughs>
0: Some sort of unexpected successes in this. In this uh, match, we mentioned Bearstow earlier on, who celebrates with enormous kind of pent-up emotion. Uh, is he? I mean, his previous century, which was uh, in layman's terms, a, f- a long time ago, uh, late in 2018, as a Is that Latin as well? Played 19 tests. Yeah, it it is Latin. yeah, sorry, philistine. Um, nineteen tests in between that hundred and and this one, and in in Sri Lanka when he scored that hundred, I remember him sort of gesticulating to the press box, saying, "There, you know, oh, oh, you guys are wrong." I mean, it, in those nineteen tests of largely failure, he's not gone to the press box ever and said, "Yeah, you guys have got a point." But it was <laughs> it was a great moment for someone who's. Really, you know, if he'd never played Test cricket again, he'd been given enough chances, but he's come back. And, you know, he, it was quite an extraordinary personal triumph, don't you think?
3: It, it was. The problem that I've got is somebody a few weeks ago said that he looks like when he's celebrating like an angry Henry VIII and I can't unsee it I cannot unsee it yeah every time because he does that he gets very emotional like fair play to him I mean none of us know what it's like it's called a test century I'm sure it's a wonderful thing but he sort of he roars it's like both arms come and it's sort of vein popping stuff and all I can see is sort of Henry VIII
2: having a go at his (laughs) sixth
0: wife yeah he was good at the pull and the cut, Henry VIII, <laughs> yes. in, in different ways. I, I guess that's the way he dealt with women.
2: I mean, the other problem with Johnny Besto celebrating, especially on Jane McGrath Day, is everything is fluorescent pink, which is also, coincidentally, the natural skin tone of his face. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and there are an ordinately high proportion of ginger men in
0: England's men's test. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, Zolz. Yeah, it's great to see. Um, Well, I mean, it's it's a source of huge pride in the ginger community.
2: (laughs) Andy, uh, speaking of that, we both did a show called The Crickets On last week and you had a pre-recorded package and I was doing the live record and uh, it cut back to Miles Chupp and he said... Uh, reminds me of Baz Lerman's song, Everyone Wears Sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> and I really enjoyed that.
0: Usman Khawaja, uh recalled uh, for this, this test. He's had a very mixed career, particularly against England. He's failed in England, essentially. Uh scored a big 100 at the SCG but um, in, in the final test last time. But this was an amazing personal triumph for him. He two centuries... Uh, In the match, this was my favourite stat of the match, by the way. Uh, Ben Stokes, batting at five, uh, scored 50 in both innings for England. Kawaja, batting at five, scored hundreds in both innings. It's the second test in history, and there have been nearly 2,500 of them, in which the number five scored at least 50 in all four innings. The second... What?! Ever. Second ever. The second ever. The other was the timeless test in Durban in 1939 when England famously, a game that lasted from the 3rd of March to the 14th of March with a, a couple of rest <laughs> days. They then had to leave to get the boat back home and the game was drawn anyway after nearly two f-ing weeks. Isn't cricket great? <sighs> But that was the only other test in which the number five scored fifties in all all four innings. And I searched up was on it with Tim as I found myself punching the air with delight, uh, which I think means that I've wasted my life. But anyway, Kawaja <laughs> back in the team after two years out, two silken centuries. He's a, a beautiful, elegant uh, stroke maker, and uh, age thirty five, his wife and his young kid were in the crowd. Uh, it was, uh, and he, you know, he uh, grew up in Sydney, I think. Um, so it was. Uh, I mean, they've been some good personal stories in this game.
3: You offered far too sober a stat on Uzi. My my favourite one was that when he got to about halfway through his second century and suddenly people started realising... That in two innings, he scored more than <laughs> about five or six English batters put together. Yes. And the worst thing was he only had to score like, I don't know, five more runs before you added the next English batter. <laughs> so by the time that he completed his two innings and in twin centuries, he'd scored pretty much more than the entire English team cumulatively um, by route. So that, 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 that stat to me is much,
0: yes. much more exciting. <laughs> Is he sort of commentating with the, with the Australians on, uh, on Triple M? How have they reacted to, to Boland's success? Because, I mean, no one... He wasn't even in the squad. He was basically oh. called up as a COVID cover during the Brisbane test. No one really you know, kind of saw him as a test bowler. Now he's had, he's had the third best start to a test career in history in terms of bowlers who've taken 10 or more wickets in their first two tests. His average is bettered only by two Australians who played the first two tests after Keith Miller and Ernie Toshak. So what's the reaction been to his success?
3: This has uncovered a whole new layer of Australian culture that I hadn't really factored in before. So basically, if Australia are beating England so badly, they basically turn on themselves because they need some kind of rivalry. <laughs> so I think in the 1990s, there, there literally was, there was I think there was a tri-series yes. where England...
0: oh, don't talk about this. It was England, Australia and Australia A.
3: Exactly. Australia went, you're so shit... <laughs> We're going to play ourselves. And didn't
0: make the final, and Australia
3: yeah. and Australia A made the yeah. final. Right. <laughs> so what's happened here? And actually, the funniest thing there is Australia A very, very almost. Yeah, and I think all the anyway, all the Aussies were supporting
0: Australia A from from what I've heard about it.
3: We we'll love so. an underdog, so that's what happens. And so instead of having a nice Australia A to call on because they're all either COVID-inflicted, conflicted, playing BBL or something along those lines, they've they've gone down state lines. Now, now we talk about the north-south divides in the UK. And I've always thought oh, that's quite, it's quite strong. It's got nothing. And Fliss is going to back me up here because the, the New South Wales Victorian sort of rivalry. I mean, if you don't have to say COVID, for example, Western Australia has become this kind of fortress that has basically said that the rest of Australia is absolutely terrible. And then the morning news comes on and he'll compare their COVID stats to other states to, to show how badly they're doing and put them in a better light. So the New South Wales Victoria is probably the worst of them. And Boland is a Victorian. And most of the sort of older batters that are in an triple M box in New South Wales. So there's a I almost feel as though they'd rather have an Englishman do this because
2: it's worse.
3: <laughs> that's how bad it is.
0: It is uh, one of the curious delights of cricket, Izzy, that you know, a draw can feel like a victory, despite the fact that England were essentially fairly well beaten for most of the game. Uh, I mean, how, how much do you enjoy... Uh, you know, it, it, I don't know if it was a particularly heroic rearguard because they were only four down at T and then nearly... Messed it up, but it had that glorious moment at the end where Jimmy Anderson, who may never play another test in Australia, he might not play the final test in Hobart. He'll be forty-three by the time of the next Ashes tour, facing Steve Smith, who's bowling. uh, I mean, he before he took uh, he got uh, Jack Leach out. He hadn't taken a test wicket in well over five years, and I think if he'd got Anderson out after the heroic persistence of Jimmy Anderson, he's not had a particularly great series in terms of wickets, but Australia basically can't hit him off the square but if, he, if he'd got out to Steve Smith's leg breaks in the last over I think we might as well have just cancelled cricket forever yeah. at that point yeah what, what, what do you reckon
3: well Steve Smith um, in the, the tiredest of cricketing aphorisms of course was picked as a spinner in his yes. in his test debut so there was this wonderful narrative arc that you could all see the written hacks just poised yes. ready ready <laughs> to come back with this alas it didn't happen The beauty of a draw isn't so much about the team that pulls it off. It's about denying the joy of the other team. (laughs) You you don't want to watch. I mean, it's all very sweet and lovely. And there's lots of poignant moments between Broad and Anderson being able to hold off. But what you really want to do is you want to pick out with your binoculars, if you can, each individual Australian fielder and the utter sort of the, the, the rage that starts as well, because it's, it's an affront almost. We, we, we're not, not only do we deserve it, but we were born to do this. We were born to beat England and suddenly this is not happening. That, that is the beauty of the draw. I mean, Schadenfreude and cricket are a match made in, in heaven. And I think that <laughs> comes out in the most beautiful way when there's a draw and denying a team of what should have been a near certain victory, frankly.
0: Is there concern that this this historic rivalry that goes back, you know, to eighteen seventy seven, one of the oldest sporting rivalries in the world, that particularly in Australia, as we talked about earlier on, it's becoming very, very predictable and samey. I mean, it, do you feel amongst your Australian broadcast colleagues that that they're getting bored of it or and that they you know, they're now more interested in playing, you know, either against India or just abusing each other's states as you were saying
3: why why would they want to play a team that beats them (laughs) which is (laughs) which is what india did no listen there's definitely a point where they went come on you guys like put on a fight now we put on a fight and not lost australia now want to smash us again so it's it's, it's very very easy (laughs) reset it's really not that hard and i mean that's in the space of four days and normally it's four year cycle. So every time, and the other thing I think Australians really appreciate is that England, every time they come out for the Men's Ashes, always give themselves a chance, or more than a chance. I mean, I think Joe, Joe Root said his legacy was going to be defined by this series, and I can't believe nobody went to him and went, um, "Joe, have you have you seen what happened the last like 30 <laughs> years since you've?" Saying this is probably not the best idea, but every single time it's almost encouraged here in Australia. Yeah, yeah, you, you guys going to come over here, and and, and give us. A good contest. And then they smash us, well, first ball in Brisbane, frankly. So four years is absolutely sufficient to to wipe that (laughs) slip. And have it all happen again.
0: There's been some some rather captivating test cricket elsewhere. Uh, Bangladesh last week pulled off one of the most extraordinary victories, possibly the most extraordinary single test victory in the history of the game. Almost 2,500 games of test cricket. They beat New Zealand in New Zealand. New Zealand, the reigning world test champions. Bangladesh, in 21 previous tests in New Zealand, Australia, England and South Africa combined, had lost all 21. They'd lost 15 of those 21 by an innings and the other six they'd been absolutely hammered in. And they somehow beat New Zealand quite easily. Uh, I I think it's the greatest shock in test history. Uh, Also, South Africa and India poised at one test all after two uh, two tightly fought matches, so I mean, has the ashes become the least interesting Test cricket there is
3: <laughs> Well, Bangladesh overturning that shocking record at least gives England hope and Hobart.
0: I guess so. that's the kind of positivity we got you on the show for. so exactly. uh, thank you for bringing that.
2: The Minnow is prevailing <laughs> Johnny Besto, Felicity Ward from the Bugle Ashes Urncast. Um, in the lead-up to the fourth test, it's been said that you're actually out on an archaeological excursion trying to find fossils, but the clay has meant that the bones were much further from the surface. How did you find it?
1: Yeah, it's been tough. You've got to you've got to dig deep. Uh, you really have,
0: uh, Johnny. Andy Zoltzman here from the Bugle Ashes Urncast. Now I understand part of your motivation uh, for this uh, superb century was a deep-seated hatred of both crop circles and platypuses, and that you were particularly irritated by driving past a farm on the way to the SCG that had crop circles in the shape of a platypus. What did you make of that? It a noisy field. I've not seen a field like that before as well. And, Johnny, you've been learning a new language before every test of this series so far. You learned French in the build-up to Brisbane, German before Adelaide, uh, Italian leading up to the MCG game, and, and you've learned Basque here in Sydney. Now, Basque is a language... That is unrelated to any other. Uh, how have you got on with it?
1: Yeah, it was it's the hardest one so far, I think. Andy. Yes.
2: Absolutely delightful moment from Usman Kawaja. Two years away from Test cricket, six weeks waiting on the bench, replacing Travis Head because of a positive test. Is Usman Kawaja the only man grateful to the Omicron variant in Australia right
0: now? <laughs> well, yes, I think. That's quite possible, really. I mean, COVID has done some strange things uh, to to cricket. I um, mean, indirectly, it led to me doing test matches for Test Match Special. So I'm not saying I fully approve of COVID and everything it's done. I'm just saying some people do inadvertently benefit from it. And Usman uh who you know, has had a decent test career, averages forty eight hundred. Has done much better in Australia than than out of Australia, mm-hmm. but. At 35, you thought, "Well, he's probably finished." But mm. the sort of new generation of Australians haven't really banked themselves into the team, so he got this this mm. chance, and he just he batted so beautifully. Um, it was sort of old school, silken, classical stroke play.
2: Yeah, the lactic acid in his legs for yes. all the sweeps, the, all the slog sweeps.
0: And uh, it's a series that hasn't had a lot of that. Most of the Australians, uh, Labuschagne's hundred in Adelaide was a kind of ugly bitty hundred <laughs> smith's not been the fluent player he used to be warners had a couple of mm-hmm. good innings but even he is much more restrained than he used to be and yeah he did get going quite well in in, uh, in adelaide but there's uh, apart from travis head's uh, sort of scintillating century in in brisbane uh, there's not been a lot to really enjoy as a fan of batting yes um <laughs> until this game where um you know bet besto be- scored a, a, t- a tremendous 100 um, but he's a rather sort of muscular player, but there's something sort of s- silken and elegant and liquid about uh, about Kawaja. And then we had you know, Crawley, who is when he goes when he doesn't get out in the first five minutes, he's absolutely <laughs> majestic. And even Ian Chappell, the former Australian captain, was uh, he was very taken with with Crawley's stroke play. But um, anyway, Kawaja, it, it was a great story. You know, two two hundred, only the third to do so at the SCG, I think. From memory, it was the ninth time anyone's done it in the Ashes, uh, 200s in in one match. So, yeah, it was a it's a tremendous story.
2: It's incredible. I don't know if you saw the moment where Kawaja's wife, Rachel, was watching the game with um, their toddler. And, you know, as a parent, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, don't shake the baby. Well, <laughs> when was he got his century? Rachel stood up and held the toddler and shook it like it was the urn itself. <laughs> Just... So excited and then realised what she was doing and then stuck the baby on hip and then did the classic mum side-to-side rock <laughs> It was very, very fun. You know when you're playing with a kid and it's really fun and then you see their spine bend a little bit further <laughs> than it should so you give them a cuddle just in case? You're like, oh, we're okay, we're okay. I don't know if you saw Pat Cummins' behaviour before Uzi's first century.
1: I didn't see that. He got two
2: man. fours. Yeah. So he got a four and we're like, all right, Ozzy is he, on like 98 or something, I think, 97, 98, and then Cummins gets another four. Then there's one more ball in the over, and then Cummins hits a single, putting Kawaja again on the non-striker's end. And there was a little bit of him going, "I know you're my captain, but what are you doing, mate? Come Are You having a go here? Like there was a couple of little Patty Cummins moments. There was that. There was. The moment where uh, they weren't sure if there was a nick and they were deciding whether to get a review. And Labashan goes, there was a noise. And Patty gets a bit angry and goes, was it a good noise? (laughs) I'm like, all right, just a bit, just a bit. And also, I know it wasn't intentional, but Jack Leach was on a hat trick. I think Alex Carey got out. And once Usman was out, they should have just brought it in. But he's like, no, get the next player out there. He got out for a duck and Patty goes, all right, everyone in. Let's not turn this into a shit show. (laughs) Uzi, Usman Khawaja, an absolute honour and a privilege to watch you get those amazing centuries. Felicity Ward from the Ashes Earncast, amazing performance. And how you get yourself into the mindset to play is that you like to avoid baking bread. What do you say to yourself?
1: If it doesn't happen, it's
0: it's all right. I actually don't have anything to prove.
2: Andy, something that's been bothering me since I was a teenager, I would say, is there are things that I do not know about being a man. And this sounds very sexist.
0: Okay. Let me just say that there's a hell of a lot of things that I don't know about being a man as well. So (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to be able to help out.
2: I've got two main things. One thing that has always baffled me is how men remember things about sport. Now, yes, it may be a substitute for exploring their internal emotional landscape. Yes, it,
0: it is that. Yep. Yeah.
2: It is that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I can barely remember which day Usman got centuries in this test. And there yeah. was two out of the 5 days, and I can't remember which ones. Whereas you can talk about a test from 1976 where Bangladesh were playing Zimbabwe. Well,
0: no, no, no. I can't do that because neither of them had become Test nations at that point, Felicity. But I was I, waiting. I, I, this is exactly I, I this what
2: I was yeah. waiting for. Yeah. That was a trick question, okay, good. and I was going to say, "How do you remember things? How do you keep remembering things?" Because I got nothing. Even before I had a kid, <laughs> I was useless. And it seems like men, on the whole, have a huge part of their memory committed to sports and sports events and sporting moments, that if they can't bring them up, they are humiliated and shamed.
0: Yes. Uh, well, I mean, how? I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it's a curse as much as a gift, to be honest. But, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's um, uh, something that uh, I guess I can only thank almighty Zeus for bestowing <laughs> on me the ability to remember 1920s um, batting averages uh, and the like. I, I don't know. I mean... To be honest, there's times when I'm in the fortunate position of having monetized me wasting my brain on sport. Mm. So, you know, it's worked out all right for me. But, you know, for, for the majority of my life, it was purely a recreational waste of a brain mm. rather than mm. a professionally endorsed waste of a brain. But in terms of why that is the case... That's the question. I don't know if it goes back, you know, to the early thinking of the evolution of, of humanity and you know, man as the hunter-gatherer. Uh, if you know, you needed to know the stats on what dinosaurs had particularly spiky teeth, or you know what what mm. you know how saber a, a a tiger's tooth had to be before you had to really worry about it. Uh, you know your mammoth stats, your your poisonous berry stats, were all absolutely critical. And I guess you know that as we move beyond that, we needed an outlet for that part of the male brain and sports stats finally jumped into the breach.
2: It's absolutely fascinating to me because there isn't a comedian that I know that doesn't have some kind of like mastermind, egghead area (laughs) in their brain committed to if they ever got called up, they'd have a specialist subject, which would be a team of a sport, sometimes multiple, and they can just answer anything and that's just always available to them. (laughs) My follow-up question in uh, in Ask a Man is... We've discussed Joe Root's undercarriage and how many times he was hit in the undercarriage and how painful it is for men when that happens. And yet at the same time, men absolutely love to slide. They love to slide in sport, (laughs) face down across the line, in the outfield towards the boundary, sliding. How do you not hurt your junk? How do you not crunch the junk in those situations? Like why is a ball painful, but a flattening with full body weight
0: <laughs> fine? Well, uh oh, that's something I've never really I've never really thought about. Um, I mean, I guess that again, that's evolution, isn't it? That obviously I when, don't know when you slide. Why else would I ask? Well, because you know, sliding obviously was a, a very good means of evading the dinosaurs. Going back to this, you know, obviously, the human <laughs> dinosaur rivalry that was documented in so many so many great films. Um, that you know, if you could slide <laughs> under a triceratops, uh, mm. then you could easily escape it. Um, so yeah, I know then what sliding does. <laughs> well, yeah, but so then obviously the male uh, junk, uh, as uh, as you correctly call it, um, named after um, uh, I believe Albert Junkovic, the Czech <laughs> scientist who discovered the testicles. Um, he actually the, couldn't uh, get
2: into Australia, funny enough, on a visa nineteenth
0: century. So when you slide, obviously evolution has meant that. That that uh, I I assume it kind of retracts, right? Into yeah, you know, like like an aeroplane's wheels. That's you know, <laughs> air, air, aeroplane wheels are yeah. I mean they are the testicles of the aeroplane. Have you, have you ever de- seen it? Have you ever seen aeroplanes mate? But look, it doesn't matter. But, <laughs> no, but, no, no. So the slide is an evolutionary escape mechanism, mm-hmm. whereas. The cricket ball hitting you in the nuts, there was no place for that in evolution. I mean, the worst okay. you get was an apple falling out of a tree, and that was generally a headshot rather than a nutshot. shot. So. Yeah, OK. Uh, so I guess that probably answers your question. Yeah,
2: thanks for clearing that up.
0: Good, yep. Stand back, it's a stat whack. Uh, well, a great uh, escape for England, uh, the ninth time that they've managed to draw a test with their last pair at the crease. Uh, most of them have been uh, quite recent, So I think is, um, seven in the last... 25 years, only two uh, before that. Uh, however, it was a game largely dominated by Australia. Uh, here's something. In both innings, Felicity, mm-hmm. five of their top six reached 20. So 10 innings in the top six of 20 or more in the match. And that is the first time Australia have done that against England since 1981, could wow. you believe, uh, in an Ashes test. And uh, England have only done it uh, twice since then. So it was quite a rare achievement. And it showed you know, Australia's not. You look at the, the numbers for the series, you take out Kawaja's brilliant match here. Mm. No one's really having a dominance series with uh, with but Even with the ball, they, they've all sort of chipped in. It's been a very good team effort without any individualsness. Yeah, uh, heaps sort of them have got dominating. shit dominated, haven't they? Yeah. And the ones who've done amazingly individually, Kawaja and Boland, have only done so in uh, uh, well one and two matches respectively. Um, the uh, Something to look forward to in the final test. <laughs> this was this was a stat that I had a bit of a hunch about this, and mm. I thought I'd, I'd check it. It seems to me that a lot of England careers end in the final tests in Australia, particularly oh. When England lose. and I looked at, looked at the stats for this. and there has only ever been one Ashes series in Australia that England have lost that has not brought the end of someone's test career. And that was 1950-51. And the only reason that wasn't the end of uh, players' careers was because they then went straight to New Zealand, as they used to after Ashes stories, and played a couple of tests there. And Doug Wright never played after that series. So, you know, had they not gone to New Zealand, that series would have had the end of someone's career. And But every other losing campaign in Australia, the final test has brought the end of at least one England player's career, generally more in the last eight that they've had in this era since 1990. A total of 17 players in those eight previous final tests um, have never played for England again.
2: And actually, what they do is they just don't let them back on the plane. They just have to live in Australia for the rest of their natural life.
0: So even though they've been thrashed in this not. I don't know that this will necessarily be the case. They're talking about Sam Billings replacing Butler, who's flown home with a busted finger, Playing as wicketkeeper, it's possible that could be a one-off. But you know, if he does well, he might get another go. But I'm not sure there's going to be anyone else. So maybe we will break that that sequence.
2: Yeah, maybe it seems such a brutal way to say goodbye. Why would you want to finish in Australia in the Ashes, yes. losing?
0: <laughs> well, I, I don't. Well, they're generally not voluntary. That's the thing. It's uh, <laughs> Zach Crawley. There's so much hope invested in Zach Crawley, partly yeah. because. A lot of England players who've come in recently have not been the best to watch, particularly at the top of the order. Sibley, Burns. At, let's say awkward players. N- not uh, Nothing to inspire the lyrical soul of the, uh, the cricket yeah. writer. Uh, Zach Crawley on their hand, when he's playing well, plays majestic shots, so everyone sort of really wants him to do well. But since he made 267 against Pakistan in August 2020, mm. uh, he has had one of the worst runs any specialist Test batsman has had. His 2021 average about I think 10 or 11 was on the worst Eesh. calendar years of a of a Test batsman in the history of the game. Um, but he played beautifully in the second innings of city made 77, and it was got up a really excellent Yorker by Cameron Green. And it was quite interesting that. That that the bowlers on our commentary team thought it was an accidental Yorker. See, I saw and I thought, oh, that's a brilliant piece of bowling. And then our expert pundit said, oh, he didn't mean that. And obviously, they would know a lot more than me, having bowled fast in Test matches. Mm. But uh, I don't, I don't know whether you know. Who knows? We'll have to ask. Uh, I don't know if Cameron Green's expressed. Uh, I mean, I guess <laughs> you couldn't even trust him if he said, yeah, I definitely meant it. But anyway, so uh, Crawley called 77 of the first hundred. And uh, the data is not totally complete, but it covers most of the tests England have played. Only once has an England batsman scored more than 77 of England's first 100 runs of an innings. That was Graham Gooch in a test in India in the 1981-82 series. Yikes! And uh, Hasib Hamid, by contrast, uh, really struggling. He's had six single-figure scores in a row. Before this time last year, Felicity, uh, there'd only been two instances in England's test history of top three batters having six or more single-figure scores in a row. One was a chap called George Ulliet in the 1880s. He was uh, a fairly dominant figure in England's early test history. Um, But he had a a couple of innings lower down the order where he did reach double figures in amongst that sequence of top three innings. And then there was Bill Athey in the 1980s, um, uh, and his was spread over six years. He had a long period out of the side. How cruel. So essentially, we'd never had a top three player have six consecutive Innings in single figures, dismissed in single figures in a row without having a massive career break. And it's since happened three times. Sibley, five innings against India and the first innings against New Zealand. Crawley, again the end of the India series and the first three innings against New Zealand last summer. And now Hamid in the ashes. And it just sort of highlights how extraordinarily difficult England's uh, young batters have found it uh, over the last year yeah. or so.
2: How do you change
0: that? Well, I don't know, really. And this is the problem, because you'd, normally they'd be left out and they'd go back to county cricket and they'd work on their games. But county cricket, as has been much discussed, isn't really providing that yeah. learning experience anymore. So uh, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows that. Yeah. Um, and one final uh, stat about Johnny Burstow's 100. He came in at 36 for four. He's the 52nd visiting player, batting at six or lower to make a 100 in Australia. And none of the previous 51 have come in with a score lower than 36. Well, that concludes uh, this week's Bugle Ashes earned cast after that uh, triumphant non-triumph for England. um, Which has given, I think, the series a bit of a boost because it has been so grimly one-sided and really mm. joyless for England with all the, you know, the context and the difficulties of being a touring side in the time of COVID and the fact that when literally no one had had a good series yeah. but at least now they've had a couple of individual moments they've had a team moment where they avoided defeat with a decent rearguard on the fun let's set it up for Hobart the first ever Ashes Test Ooh in boy. Hobart it's very exciting to be here I've never been to Hobart before just landed this afternoon it looks like a lovely place I'm looking forward to exploring it a bit in the days before the test, and uh, a new Ashes venue in Australia. The last time there was a new Ashes venue in Australia was, uh, the um, well, there was a new stadium in Perth, but the last time there was a new city was Perth, I think, in about 1970, and then uh, Brisbane in uh, 28-9, and the first game at the Gabba in Brisbane was 32-3. So this is a little moment of, uh, of Ashes history that has been brought about by the fact that Perth couldn't uh, host this final test. So it's, it's, it's great to be here. I mean, as what, what from this final, I mean, I think really all I want, I want another decent game. I want, yep. ideally, I want England not to crumble. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't really mind if they lose as long as they kind of play well and, 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 and aren't just if they, if they don't capitulate as they have uh, yeah if they don't well, perish they in melbourne yes
2: yeah that's what i want too. I, I i'm looking for a draw i don't even mind an england win don't even mind it it's been such a grueling grueling couple of months for these england players if they could leave with a win then maybe joe root won't escape to the the himalayas for the next eight years of his life <laughs> to become a monk <laughs> Um, yes. Because that is a sadness that I haven't seen in quite a long time that was in his eyes. Yeah. May I give my utmost love to the people of Hobart. It is a brilliant island. It has some of the best produce in the world. If you've got time, get down to Bruni Island. Have some triple cream brie from, I think, Cape Island it is. It's just right. Hobart is so beautiful. And the, the, the whole of Tasmania is just gorgeous. It's like a tiny, tiny Tasmania. I love it. Big fan big fan of Hobart and also one of the most beautiful theatres in Australia so I'm very excited for you Andy and I'm also excited because if this never happens again you were there for the one and only time that the Ashes got played at Hobart and if for nothing else that is what you deserve you deserve a once in a lifetime (laughs) uh, moment after the shit you've eaten for six weeks.
1: (laughs)
0: Well, when you say that, I've still been in Australia following the Ashes and uh, pursuing my childhood dreams. It's not been that bad, despite the uh, That's various inconveniences. That's um, we will be back to reports exclusively, I think we're the only media co- media outlet covering the uh, the Hobart test, uh, here on the Bugle Ashes own cast, uh, following the final test in England's glorious, glorious. I think away wins count triple, so they could still draw the series. I think so. We will tell you all about this after the final test. Felicity, as always, uh, enormous thanks. Thanks to uh, Isabel Westbury uh, for joining us. Uh, there will be a regular bugle this week as well with uh, Alice Fraser and a new bugler, James Colley, who were supposed to be doing the live show in Sydney that sadly got cancelled, but we'll be recording that tomorrow. So do tune into that as well. Until next time, goodbye.
2: Goodbye. I'm full of penitenti. <laughs>
0: You can listen to other programmes from The Bugle, including The Bugle, The Last Post, Tiny Revolutions and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts.